The president issues an executive order as the vice president meets with a key Indiana legislator. This is the General Assembly prepares to enact new abortion laws along with inflation relief for Hoosiers. We'll hear from state lawmakers and discuss the economic impact with Senator Mike Braun and Congressman Andre Carson. It's all ahead right now on this week's edition of In Focus. I want to talk about an executive order I'm signing to protect reproductive rights of women. In the aftermath of the Supreme Court's terrible, extreme, and I think so totally wrong-headed decision. I think this is a prerogative of the states. I just think it's good that after 49 years, it's back to where it should have been in the first place. I'm pleased that the president has finally acknowledged and addressed this issue publicly with an executive order. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Dan Spieler. We're following new developments in the quickly changing battle over abortion in America. Friday, President Biden taking federal action, signing an executive order to try and preserve some abortion rights in the wake of the Supreme Court's landmark ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. Washington correspondent Raquel Martin has the latest. The president himself acknowledges there is a little he can do to protect abortion rights in every state, but says today's executive order should help women and doctors now navigate a much different legal landscape. What we're witnessing is a giant step backwards. Friday, President Joe Biden signed an executive order designed to protect the now tens of millions of women living in states with new restrictive abortion laws. The order largely asked federal agencies to find ways to help women with travel, legal representation, access to contraceptives, and reproductive care. The practice of medicine should not be frozen in the 19th century. The announcement comes two weeks after the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade and two months after that decision was leaked. There are a lot of critics who believe the administration waited too long to respond to this. What is the administration's response? Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of take issue with the premise of the question. Friday, Jen Klein, the White House Gender Policy Council chair, insisted the administration was ready. The day that the decision was released, the president spoke and very powerfully about actions that we were already going to take. The attorney general issued a very strong statement. President Biden says the fastest way to restore women's reproductive care is by electing Democrats this November. Vote, 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 vote. And President Biden definitely hammered down on that last point. He says in order to pass a law guaranteeing abortion access in every state, there would need to be two more Democrats elected to the Senate, and they would need to maintain a majority in the House. For now in Washington, Raquel Martin, back to you. Raquel, thanks. The president in his remarks Friday also referencing these reports from the Indy Star about a 10-year-old rape victim from Ohio who was forced due to a new Ohio law to travel here to Indiana instead. This isn't some imagined horror. It's already happening. Just last week, it was reported that a 10-year-old girl was a rape victim in Ohio, 10 years old. And she was forced to have to travel out of the state to Indiana to seek to terminate the presidency. A 10-year-old girl should be forced to give birth to a rapist's child? I can tell you what I don't. I can't think of anything as much more extreme. You saw the vice president there, House Minority Leader Phil Giaquinta of Fort Wayne, was in Washington this week meeting with Vice President Harris and other elected officials from other states to discuss various ways to try and protect abortion rights moving forward. 
I think the bottom line is, though, is that um, in the end, it probably comes up down to being a voting, pretty big voting issue down uh, in, in November. And I think that um, we as legislators or, or the president just have to remind folks what's, uh, what's online, what's, uh, uh, what's at stake here in, in November, how important elections are. Are you feeling a little hopeless in this moment when it comes to abortion? Because it, it seems like that's the sense in the party. Well, no, I think that, um, again, constituents that I talked to, and this has really only been out there in the last uh, three to four weeks. So uh, the discussion was more about um, other issues that have been that are going on. And we, I think a lot of people always thought that there was that backstop of the Supreme Court, that certainly they're not going to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade, and, and uh, certainly judging from the... Uh, with the nominees to the Supreme Court had said during their testimony that uh, that it would uh, be be safe, and so now that it's happened, I think you're going to see really uh, a lot of mobilization of voters, particularly women. This is not an intellectual discussion and debate. This is real in the way that it is currently and will impact the women and the girls of America in a very direct way. Now, the same day Giaquinta met with the vice president, a major ruling here in Indiana impacting a proposal passed by lawmakers that had been held up in court, but not anymore. Our Steve Brown has the latest on the impact this could have on a particular second trimester procedure that lawmakers voted to restrict in most cases. There is no medical evidence behind this type of a ban, and so there really is no reason that the Indiana legislature should be interfering in the ability of physicians to take care of their patients. And Bernard won a court injunction. But that decision was based on prior Supreme Court cases of Roe and Casey. When the current high court overturned Roe and Casey, Indiana's Attorney General Todd Rokita asked a federal court judge to lift the injunction against the state law, and she did. Yesterday, Judge Sarah Evans Barker signed an order concluding, in light of the Supreme Court's recent decision, we hereby vacate the preliminary injunction entered in this case. Uh, the immediate impact is that it's going to make it much harder for my patients, particularly those who, again, need um, procedures in the second trimester that are um, potentially in more difficult circumstances um, to access that care right away. In a statement, Attorney General Rokita, a vocal anti-abortion advocate, said the court's ruling is an exciting battle victory in our war to defend the unborn and protect women. Indiana Right to Life also issued a statement, reading in part, we have confidence in our elected leaders to further protect the unborn and to support and care for pregnant mothers in the upcoming special session. That special session begins later this month, although the Republican majority has not signaled what additional abortion restrictions it is considering. Steve, thanks. Meantime, protesters gathered at the State House this past week in the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling on abortion. Indiana lawmakers technically now in a special session as of July 6th, but they won't actually meet until the 25th. The governor called the special session to provide inflation relief, but now the start of that session has been delayed as GOP lawmakers sort out various proposals to restrict abortion. Democratic lawmakers gathered inside the State House this past week to mark the unofficial start of the special session, criticizing the GOP for delaying inflation relief while they make plans to restrict abortion. People need help now. It's so frustrating and tragic for us to watch this and to be sidelined for something like this that makes a difference in the lives of so many people. And the worst part is this is absolutely senseless. We are technically in session now. The supermajority could pass this at any time right now. Relief should not be held hostage to the supermajority's unpopular 
and disorganized policy debate. Our liberty and our livelihoods should not be subject to the whims of the supermajority. All right, speaking of the economy, the inflation we've all been experiencing has also been top of mind in recent months, with gas prices finally starting to come back down from record highs. This week, I spoke with Senator Mike Braun and Congressman Andre Carson as part of a special town hall on the economy called Your Money in Focus. Specifically, what does Congress or the White House need to be doing to try and make things easier for people right now? Senator, I'll start with you. Well, I think it's going to be difficult because it took a long time to kind of upend the economy. And when you let inflation out of the bag, it is hard to get back uh, tamped down. I think it's important to note that in the midst of high inflation, the U.S. created uh, 372,000 jobs just last month. And under the leadership of President Biden and you know, our Democratic majorities in Congress, we've, we've recovered uh, the total number of private sector jobs lost since the beginning of the pandemic. Well, sadly, I think what's going to mostly lower prices is the fact that we've generated maybe the conditions for a recession. As I travel all 92 counties, that idea of a cleaner fuel, a better climate, uh, noble purpose, but that doesn't mean you shut things down in the short run. It's a very uneasy time in America right now. Uh, talk about things like mass shootings, concerns about the impacts of these recent Supreme Court rulings and these inflationary impacts people are experiencing. A recent poll showed a whopping 88% of Americans uh, say the country is for one reason or another in their view uh, on the wrong track. How, how concerned are you about the overall state of America's psyche right now? Well, we've gone through a lot. Uh, the pandemic, um, it, 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 it really unearthed a lot of pain, a lot of concern, a lot of anxiety uh, about the future of our country. Uh, let's get us back to being American. And you can see more of that conversation on our special town hall, Your Money in Focus. It airs this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m. on CBS4 and CBS4Indy.com and also on Fox 59 in Indianapolis. And if you're not in Indy, you can also watch online at Fox59.com or submit a question for state lawmakers or financial experts at Fox59.com questions. Coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, we'll talk with our panel about what's happening behind the scenes at the State House ahead of this month's special session. Plus, the deadly mass shooting at a 4th of July parade near Chicago as the conversation about guns in America continues next. It's been nearly a week since yet another mass shooting in America, not far from home this time, in Highland Park near Chicago. And it happened in the middle of a 4th of July parade. Today we're getting reaction to this latest shooting, discussing the impact of red flag laws and the overall mood of the nation in these uneasy times. State Senator Eddie Melton from Gary said, quote, it's always devastating to hear of another mass shooting, but especially difficult when it happens in our community. My fight to expand gun safety measures won't stop until my residents can enjoy a holiday without fear of senseless gun violence. Of course, there's also a new law on the books here in Indiana that just took effect July 1st, which essentially allows anyone legally able to carry a gun to do so without a permit, a move that state police and other law enforcement officials had opposed. And the shooting, of course, also brings up red flag laws yet again, too. Time to bring in our panel right now as we discuss all of this week's top stories. Joining us here in the studio this week, former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston, and former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. And with us on Zoom, reporter Casey Smith from the Indiana Capitol Chronicle and managing editor for the Indianapolis Business Journal, Greg Weaver. Great to have you all with us this week. Robin, I'm going to start with you. A lot of angst 
in the country generally these days. We celebrated the 4th of July last weekend uh, while we also collectively grieved the shooting at the Highland Park Parade in a time where on a whole host of issues, the nation seems to grow more and more uneasy and, and, and more divided too. Well, yeah, and the, you had Eddie on before, Senator Melton. Uh, the same week, there were three people shot and killed in Gary. Previous week, six people killed. Previous week to that, kids uh, shot at a high school graduation. I think what you're going to find is we're going to begin to harden the facilities that people have. You know, we all walked through. It was 9-11 that we started going through the magnetometers at games. But I think you're going to find that with parades, events. I also think you're going to find people recalcitrant to go to public events. I think people are going to back away a lot more than they used to. Um, I go back to the source. I don't know why we need to build the, those kind of weapons that outgun our police and have no purpose at all in hunting. I don't know that any AR-15 or M4 needs to be used for hunting. Uh, uneasy times here, as we mentioned, and also you know, around the world, between the war there in Ukraine, um, the assassination in Japan this week, where they typically don't have a lot of gun violence like we experience here. Mike, your, your thoughts on the, just sort of the angst and the violence that we've seen really time and time again here in recent months and years. Well, first of all, let's talk about Highland Park. I mean, I have a little personal interest in the fact that my son had his children at a very almost identical parade less than five miles away mm. that morning. So, yeah. you know, it was Highland Park. I don't know how the guy chose Highland Park over the parade my son and his kids were at, you know. Um, but I will tell you that, that you know, there's, there's a lot going on here. I mean, you had the, the, the wealthy white neighborhood, right, being, being hit, six or seven people dead, terrible, terrible thing. That same weekend in Chicago, you had 89 people shot, seven dead, most of them minorities, I'm told, by the Chicago Tribune and other newspapers, and yet nobody put up a protest about that. In fact, the only major media outlet to write about it was the Washington Post. And they said, why, why, why have this different treatment? Now, it may, it may not have been one person with a big gun, but 89 people shot and seven dead. That, to me, classifies as mass shooting. A lot of violence uh, touching a lot of lives, uh, no doubt. Uh, we're going to talk more about that in the weeks to come. But let's also talk more about here what could happen on abortion here in the coming weeks in Indiana. As we talk to uh, Casey and Greg as well, there was this executive order from the president. But here in Indiana, the special session, while technically underway, won't actually get started until the 25th. Casey, what are you hearing here about what state lawmakers are doing in the meantime as they work behind the scenes now on, on various proposals that might be out there. Yeah, Dan, so Democrats showed up to the state house alone um, on July 6th when the special session technically started. Um, they admonished Republicans for their absence um, and essentially said they were holding hostage inflation relief while Republicans are hashing out abortion-related legislation. Meanwhile, we have learned that uh, Republicans did meet uh, privately on July 6th in caucus behind closed doors in downtown Indianapolis. Um, we've heard that their discussions about abortion legislation, about possible bills, have been somewhat um, passionate, even heated. Um, it's still not clear where exactly they're going to land on a, on a bill or bills. Um, there may be some indication that they could uh, go with um, a proposal by uh, right to life attorney Jim Bopp. Um, that would ban abortion with no exceptions for rape and incest. It would also criminalize 
uh, providing information online for women who seek abortions. It's not clear if that's where they're going to land, but it is um, a proposal that they're discussing. Okay. Uh, Greg, the IBJ has also uh, been reporting on the business impact of a potential ruling on abortion. What's the reaction been so far in, in the business community to potential laws we might see here? Well, it's, it's creating quite a conundrum for uh, businesses based in Indiana. You know, while nationally we have seen companies uh, like um, Starbucks and uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, um, you know, come out and say that they will uh, fund travel for women who don't have access to abortions, um, large Indiana employers have remained uh, largely silent, uh, you know, particularly uh, Eli Lilly and Cummins. And it will be interesting to see in the coming weeks as we uh, find out what kind of legislation that will come out of the state house, uh, whether those companies that have been very active on social issues in the past will take a position. We'll see what happens. Uh, we did, Robin, see uh, Minority Leader uh, Phil Giaquinta of Fort Wayne meeting with the vice president this week. But at this point, there's really not much state house Democrats can do about these potential new proposals other than voice their opposition. Well, you're right about that, Dan, but they can also build the support of the people of Indiana. It's gonna boil down to like the 10 year old from Ohio who was raped having to come over here for an abortion. I mean, that's just unconscionable. We hope that never happens in our state, and we hope that people will bring some semblance of reality to this. How do you see this process playing out here behind the scenes in the legislature over the next few weeks, Mike? Well, um, Casey was right. They did have a caucus a couple nights ago. Um, I am not privy to everything that was said in that by any means. Um, but I think it really comes down to this. The, the, the Republicans have a choice. They can go with what I would call the safe choice, which is 15-week uh, limit, which the, the Supreme Court already passed on, right? That's the Mississippi law. Or they can take it, really push the envelope, and who knows what Jim Bopp is proposing, but they could really push the envelope and go all the way to almost no exceptions at all. And I think that'll be the big internal debate over the next few weeks. We'll see how it plays out. Casey, in the meantime, uh, this delay also holding up the governor's proposal to return more money to Hoosier taxpayers, uh, something that, as you point out, Indiana Democrats uh, were there at the state house to, to point, on and point out and dwell on this past week. Yeah, Democrats, again, they called for a suspension of the state gas tax. Uh, Republicans and the governor have said that they don't want to go uh, with that plan. Um, Democrats also said, though, that they're still supporting uh, the governor's tax refund, um, the second trigger, the second wave of checks uh, for taxpayers. However, um, they expressed concern that even if the legislature uh, gets that done by the August 14th deadline, um, it's still going to be possibly until December, if not later, before um, a lot of Hoosiers okay. see that round of checks. Yeah. And, and Greg, obviously, th that inflation relief is something that, that a lot of Hoosiers have been waiting for, despite all the other issues that are in the news right now. Concerns about the economy, concerns about a potential recession continue to be there at the top of the list when people get polled about what issues concern them the most this midterm election year, even amidst some uh, potentially encouraging job numbers on Friday. The economy continues to be number one in those polls. Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, inflation relief is very high on uh, people's minds. But I don't think that uh, the Republicans in the legislature, particularly in the Senate, are in lockstep on the governor's uh, proposal. And so uh, I think there is some concern that there could be an economic downturn in the future that won't have uh, created quite as rosy a situation as we have right now. There are also some lawmakers in the Senate who are interested in uh, attempting to pay down the debt, particularly uh, the obligations to the teacher's retirement fund. 
And then there are economists in general who believe that the governor's tax refund plan would only fan the flames of inflation. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see how that plays out as well. And we'll talk about it all during our town hall next week as well. Coming up, Mayor Pete moving to Michigan. We'll talk about his big move after the break. Former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg is moving to Michigan. His husband's family is in Traverse City. They're establishing residency and registering to vote there in Michigan this year. No word yet on what that might mean for the former mayor's future in terms of potential campaigns for office down the road. Meantime, the state of California is now restricting any state-funded travel to Indiana over our state's new law that bans transgender girls from playing girls' school sports. Indiana is now one of 20 states on California's no-travel list and one of four states recently put on that list because of laws regarding transgender rights. In a statement, California's AG said Indiana's law is part of a, quote, coordinated ongoing attack on transgender rights. Indiana AG Todd Rokita responded by saying, quote, we choose protections for our K-12 girls over hosting government employees from California. Governor Holcomb didn't have a statement on the travel ban. He stood behind his previous veto of the bill, which was then overturned by the legislature. All right, stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. All right, time to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Robin, I'll start with you. Video that your station ran of some firefighters and first responders in Madison saving some people from an apartment building fire. That's great. Very yeah. telling, but demonstrates what our first responders can do. Some heroic actions there, Mike. My winner has to be Dr. David Baum of Highland Park, who instead of running away from the shooter, ran toward the scene and actually in doing so was able to save the life of an eight-year-old boy. The loser has to be the Attorney General of California. Uh, if he thinks or anybody thinks that Indiana is going to hold California out as a role model. Think again. Casey? Yeah, well, winner, Indiana, central Indiana, got some much-needed rain. Um, but loser, uh, or still at a loss, are Hoosier taxpayers who are still waiting for uh, their first round of tax refunds and uh, still waiting to see what happens with the second. Greg? Uh, I would say the winner this week is uh, Jim Bopp, you know, a leading conservative voice in Indiana who's receiving a lot of national attention for his model legislation on abortion restrictions and was even on uh, the daily uh, podcast of the New York Times. And the sermons, in terms of losers, I would say uh, probably um, the public in general for not being a party to the negotiations that are going on behind closed doors on the abortion law uh, in the, among the Republicans. We'll see how those controversial discussions shake out. Thank you both for being on with us this week. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next week on In Focus. Have a great day.